You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. From the nearly $500 billion donated in 2020, how would you think is that distributed? Like, where do you think it comes from? If you had to, like, percentage-wise, say, from private donors, from institutions, how do you think it breaks down? It's really interesting. Hmm, that is interesting. Geez, I would think the majority of it probably from private donors, whether they're big dollar donors or small donors, I would think probably the majority from private donors, and then you have organizations who, like, fundraise, yeah. I would think probably the majority from private donors. Is that accurate? Spot on, man. Nice. 80% of that amount comes from private donors or private revenue. I just have to say, that's two hey chads in a row. <laughs> that you got right. That I haven't overshot. Pop the champagne. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is that, like two out of 37? It's uh, funny. We're making progress. No, that's good. <laughs> 49% is from pure, just private fees for services. So think of like Goodwill stores and people buy goods. So nearly 50% of that. 31% is government grants and contracts. Nearly 9% is straight individuals donating. 3% is foundations. I thought that was going to be a lot higher, but it's only 3% of the total amount. 1.5% is from bequests and 1% from corporations. And then 5% 5% is like others, you know, people leaving stuff in wills and so on. Mm. Two interesting facts there. 80% of all of nearly $500 billion comes from people, individuals. And then only 3% comes from foundations, which I think is, I don't know, I just thought it was going to be a lot higher. Yeah, that is interesting. We're going to be talking a lot more about foundations and the ins and outs of that today as it relates to marketing. But before we do, the weekly question, how is the children coping through the pandemic and the political unrest in the US in December of 2020? (laughs) Well, (laughs) my favorite holiday, Christmas is coming up. Mm. So we're pretty focused on that. Nice. Yeah. So ostrich in the sand scenario going on the children's home. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) the nice thing is, is with Amazon and all of the online shopping, we can still put our Santa caps on right. and have a great time, go about our business in a fairly normal way in terms of preparing for the holiday. And we do a lot of Christmas puzzles, you know, 500,000 piece jigsaw puzzles of just little Christmas scenes. So that's just like a fun little family tradition that we have. And so we've got a lot of time at home to work on Christmas puzzles. Nice. What's the biggest one you guys have done? Oh, well, usually, especially with the little kids, we try to focus on smaller puzzles, something in the like 250 to 500 piece range because they lose interest pretty quickly. And if we don't finish (laughs) them quickly, then pieces get lost in the house and just becomes a disaster. So I think ask me that question 10 years from now when we have all teenagers or young adults and... We might go for some higher scores. 10 years from now? What are you talking about? Taylor's a teenager next year. That's true. That's true. Scary as that is. On that, I read this crazy stat over the weekend, which made me really rethink just being around my kids. And it said that a child that's 12 years old, you've spent 78% of your physical presence time with them when they're 12 years old. 78%. It's mind-blowing. And when they're 18, it's 93% of the time you'll ever see them is gone. Isn't that just bizarre? It's scary 
As a father of two little kids, when I read that, I just went to go and hug them. <laughs> it was just, yeah. it's just crazy. Freaks me out. But anyway, we digress. So we're going to be talking today about a foundation and foundations in general, but specifically about a foundation called the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Mm. And just quick disclaimer time, we're not going to have a point of view of the organization or what they've done. We're just going to be laying out some facts about how foundations think of marketing, specifically this foundation. And then I want the listeners to form an opinion because I don't think it's fair for you and me to have an opinion on them and how they've conducted themselves within the space. Yep. And I think it's important that the listeners approach this episode through that lens versus you and I can have some pretty strong opinions as it relates to marketing and campaigns and failures and comebacks. But this is one where we just want to lay out the facts because it is really interesting and a very legal slippery slope, which I'm not interested in getting involved in. <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's dive in. It's an interesting discussion. So there's an organization called Charity Watch, and they were founded by the American Institute of Philanthropy. They basically like created a list of the top 10 charities dedicated to fighting cancer, and they score them in a specific way, and then mm -hmm. they rate them. And Charity Watch had three dedicated breast cancer charities on this list. And these three charities were Breast Cancer Research Foundation, the National Breast Cancer Coalition Fund, and Breast Cancer Prevention Partners. And all three of these charities were given an A- rated by Charity Watch. Now, what you might have noticed of Charity Watch's top three breast cancer charities is that none of them are the most popular or well-known breast cancer charities. Have you heard of any of those three before? Breast Cancer Research Foundation I have, but the other two I'm not familiar with. Yeah, which is the point. So while there's three all scored an A-, Susan G. Komen didn't even make it into the top 10 lists of Charity Watch. There's another organization called Charity Navigator. On the other hand, it recommends donating to Breast Cancer Foundation and the Lynn Sage Cancer Research Foundation, both of which were given at least a score, and they've got a different scoring system, but it's like 19.9 .9 out of 100 by Charity Navigator. And Charity Navigator scored the Susan G. Komen at 81.11 out of 100. Now, if Charity Watch and Charity Navigator are their indicator, it would seem that the time has come for the Susan G. Komen to make a change. And that's kind of like where I want to kick it off. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So yeah, let's talk about Susan G. Komen organization. And I think rather than asking why aren't they on the top of those lists, I think it's maybe a little bit more of an interesting entry point into this conversation to talk about actually how much money is donated to Susan G. Komen annually. Small change. Well, yes, you'd find that Susan G. Komen is by far the largest and most well-funded organization when it comes to breast cancer charities. So their 2016 annual report states that they received a total of about $258 million in donations from the public sector alone. Wow. Yeah. And with so much public support and money pouring in, you might think it was safe to assume that they're the ultimate place to donate money to, right? Like they're the biggest dog in the fight. And this is where your money is best spent as it relates to cancer research and donating to the cause and just raising money for cancer in general. Mm. But there's been a lot of questions about that, 
about what is the validity of those high donations in terms of their impact on research and just actually moving cancer research and treatment options forward. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that people have criticized is actually the amount that the executives make. So obviously, it's very important to make a living wage at whatever you do. And it's also extremely important, regardless of what type of organization you are, to attract top talent. We've talked about this a lot in the past, right? A lot of the nonprofits don't do that. They attract volunteers and they attract second tier talents because the top tier talent is the big corporations. And very often this is what they need. They need the best of the best in order to run the organization to drive it forward, right? Isn't this what they were doing? Right. So when you hear numbers like a $500,000 a year salary for the CEO of Susan G. Komen. Holy moly, are you serious? Right? It's a lot of money. You're like, wait a minute, this is a charitable organization. This is research. Wow. And there are good arguments both ways for that, right? There's the argument for, hey, we need to have as much of these resources as possible going towards the actual research, and we need to have the best of the best, right? So that's a problem that a lot of charitable organizations have is they struggle with attracting the top talent. Because if you know that you're really good at something and you know what the market can bear out in terms of compensation and on all of those kinds of things, the likelihood that you're going to sacrifice 50% or up to 70% of what your potential earnings could be, sometimes even more to work in a nonprofit versus in a for-profit organization, possibly in the same space. Think about like with cancer, you could be the CEO of a biotech company, or you could be the CEO of a patient advocacy group or a research advocacy group. Yeah very different compensation levels, but also drive a lot of impact in the space. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think there is a case to be made for a nonprofit or a foundation to pay executives what they could make elsewhere to attract the top talent, right? So is that just a circumstance here? Well, that's a good question. So as the Appalachian News Organization reports, Susan G. Komen's 2010 to 2011 financial report reveals that Susan G. Komen only devotes 20.9% of the donations it receives to actually researching breast cancer. Yeah, because I bet you a lot of people, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, I think a lot of people that donate to them aren't aware of that. According to Komen's 2017-2018 financial report, the organization spends only 163 to 19% of their annual budget on research. And in comparison, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation devotes 90% of its budget to research. Employee salaries and actual research donations aside, the rest of their funding goes towards the administrative costs, that's the line item, of raising awareness. Now that's fine, right? If they want to raise the awareness of the disease states, there's nothing wrong with that. Devoting money to advertising the Susan G. Komen brand and merchandising, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. But there's a problem here and that's their positioning. This might make you angry or you might think that, hang on a minute, this doesn't sound right. But the Susan G. Komen Foundation 
as a charity geared towards raising awareness of this disease state, how much should they allocate towards raising awareness that would make sense? But even their own website, their mission on their site, quote, is to save lives by meeting the critical needs in our communities and investing in the breakthrough research to prevent and cure breast cancer. That's where there's a disconnect, right? So what they're saying and what they're financially operating the company, there's a little bit of a disconnect over there. And that's what I want to talk about more. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would see that as misleading, clearly, as we've seen through the research on this episode, that a lot of people felt that way. People who have donated, people who have participated in the races have felt that way. And again, you're absolutely right that all of these objectives, raising awareness, that's all good. And it's impossible to say that Susan G. Komen hasn't raised the level of awareness of breast cancer, right? They absolutely have. When you think of a breast cancer race or a walkathon or right. in general supporting patients and rallying communities, Susan G. Komen Foundation is who you think of. The lens you got to think about this is if we are going to be saying that we want to pay top dollar to attract top executives to run the organization, right? That's what we agreed on. You and I have beaten us up in the past a lot, and I think we both feel strong about that. Then we think about this organization as a brand and a company. And if you can run a brand and a company in a way that you would run a public company, then there's a little bit of a disconnect. Because if you had to spend that amount of money in a biotech on raising an awareness of the disease state versus your clinical research, or any other analogy insert here, there will be a problem with it. It just wouldn't add up. And I think that's where, if you think of this as a company, it doesn't gel with their mission statement and how they're putting themselves out there. That's absolutely right. So when you think about, to your point, a biotech company and percentage of funding going towards their marketing and unbranded campaigns or branded campaigns all together. It's not 85%. Yeah, exactly. As a CEO, you'll get fired pretty quickly. <laughs> right, exactly. If 85% of your entire operational budget is marketing. Hey, I'm not going to complain, and nor you, but I'm just, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that, right? Yeah. Thank you. That's a really good point. And so in the words of cancer survivor Alicia Staley, quote, an organization that is actively pursuing other small charities over the use of the term for the cure does not spend the majority of their own funds towards research for a cure. And so obviously that's like an opinion that's based on the perception of what that means, but employee salaries, research, raising awareness aside, what Alicia is referring to is another area that eats up a lot of Komen's funding, which is trademarking and legal battles. In 2007, the foundation's name changed to Susan G. Komen for the Cure, and they trademarked the running ribbon and the phrase, quote, for a cure, as part of their branding. In the book Pink Ribbon Blues, published in 2010 by Gail Sulek, Komen says they protect their trademarks as a matter of financial stewardship to prevent confusion among donors. However, others would suggest that their trademark issues are more about dominating the pink ribbon market. In a 2011 interview with Star Tribune, Komen spokeswoman Andrea Rader explained that, quote, there is a potential for donors to make assumptions. We want them to be confident that if they want to donate to Susan G. Komen, their money is going to Susan G. Komen, hmm. which is fair. One example of that is a fundraiser that was called Mush for the Cure. 
it's a small dog sledding fundraiser for breast cancer, obviously, Wish for Your Cure, that was started by somebody called Sue Pron in 2006 in Grand Marie, Minnesota. And they're doing really well. In 2010, they brought in 30,000 bucks until Prom receives a letter from the Susan G. Komen attorney asking her not to only resend her request for mush for a cure trademark, but to stop using the phrase for a cure altogether. Fortunately, Komen dropped its objection to the dog sledding fundraiser in 2011, shortly after the NBC News highlighted the fight for mush for a cure. And this wasn't just prone. In 2010, Komen sued United Against Lung Cancer for the use of the name Kites for a Cure as well. So they, they started suing a lot of people from a trademark perspective. Mm. Since 2007, more than 100 small charities have received legal opposition from Komen for use of the words for the cure in their names. And it begs the question, how much of the money that Coben has raised has been spent in the last couple decades on not really raising awareness? Legal fees. Right. Just fighting legal battles that don't advance cancer or healthcare in general yeah. and don't necessarily benefit the patient population in any way. When I researched this, it was really they would have these cases to secure the donor's money coming to their organization. That was the main objective. That's why you sue somebody from a trademark perspective, right? Sure. You don't want to confuse the donors out there. So if there's going to be $500 billion a year, they want to make sure that most of that comes their way versus going to everybody else. And you can argue that they want to get the bulk of that money so that they can be selective of how they're going to be doing the research, but they only spend 15% of their money on research. So it just doesn't add up. If we care about doing the right thing, then we need to be focused on the mission-critical objective as much as we can. And it yep. is 100% okay for them to protect their organization in appropriate situations. That's an okay thing to do, but it needs to be done with balance and thinking through what are we really trying to achieve here at the end of the day. Yep. So in the words of Sue Prom, quote, people are donating money to this organization to fight cancer, not to fight another organization fighting breast cancer. Yeah. So there's just that perception that's been created as to what the real purpose of these activities are. And that's why we're talking about this, because I think the perception is there. So let's talk about the perception. It's also important, right? We know that perception, especially within this field, is really important because at the end of the day, someone's going to write a check and they're going to write a check with what they feel where their money is going to be put to good use. And sure, Komen's advertising has failed to hit the nail on the head, but them positioning themselves as a research-first organization rather than raising the awareness that's in their mission statement right now is what's creating that perception issues for them. And regardless of how much money the leaders take home annually, I don't really care about that. And I don't think anybody does either. As long as they are pushing the needle for what they're standing for, how many times they sue other people in other organizations, smaller charities, and what percentage of the donations go there, I think is starting to make me question what's going on. 
But we can also say, like, what else keeps the most popular cancer research charities from being one of the best? Well, I think there's a number of things that people point to in these types of situations, particularly as it relates to breast cancer. And the first of those, I think, would probably be a concept called pinkwashing. And that's a phrase used to describe a few different things. Number one, organizations that use the symbol of the pink ribbon that we all know so well to promote products that may actually be carcinogenic, which is the potential to cause cancer, or organizations getting disproportionate publicity for donating very little or a combination of those two things. Right. And then also there's the component of donors feeling that they've been misled, which also holds a lot of charities back from higher rankings and just in general kind of higher public trust. Mm -hmm. So Noah Goldstein, who is the husband of Janessa Shapiro, a Los Angeles University professor who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010 and passed away in 2018 at the age of 38, said, quote, when we learned how small a part of their annual budget Komen spent on research, despite years of marketing themselves as a cure-oriented organization, it looked like their marketing was misleading. Hmm. So in response to everything he and his wife learned about Komen during their battle with cancer, in 2019, Goldstein launched an organization called CureKomen.org. And its aims are to, one, inform supporters of the Susan G. Komen Foundation about the low percentage of their money being spent on research, and two, to convince Komen to dramatically increase research funding and transparency about how donors' money is being spent. If you look at their sites, I mean, they've got like massive trucks driving in billboards that reads like, Susan G. Komen spends only 90% of your money on research. And that's not good. If we think about charity donations and giving, perception is everything, right? Because you're giving money to an organization because for some reason you've got an emotional connotation to the disease state, either from yourself or family or loved one. And you want to know that money's getting put to good news. So talk about perception. Let's do this little exercise. Here are a few clips that I want to play at one of the Komen fundraising races that they had. They stopped a few people and they asked them some questions. The first one is some of the donors were guessing what percentage of the money raised goes towards research. 60%? I would hope 50%. Probably say the majority. I'd probably say about 75% of it. Isn't it like 50? I would hope 70%. And then again, they asked the donors, what percentage of money raised do they think should go towards research? Like 80% of it, maybe 90? All of it. At least half. Really, 80% would be great. It should be like all, all of it. And the other donors being told that only 19% of their donation goes towards research. Wow. That's it? Like, that's, re like, that's ridiculous. I'm stunned. <laughs> Yeah, pretty shocked. I, I thought it would have been more. It's not very much. It's not enough. Where's the rest of it? Oh, wow. So uh, where that's is, not enough. Where's the money going to? And then finally, here's a few clips of donors being told that 55% goes towards public health education or raising awareness. How's there going to be a cure for it when there's not enough going for research? I think awareness Disease. is way low. Like 5%. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think we're all aware. 
It's a Susan G. Komen race for the cure. Well, it should be race for awareness. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it should be race for the cure. They're not being truthful on how they market themselves. Anyway, I know that's painful to listen to, but the reason why I wanted to play that is because these people are the people giving their money, right? This is their financial investors, to put it in like corporate speak, right? These are the people that are giving money to the leadership to drive the organization forward, to solve a business problem, staying with the corporate language, but from a foundation standpoint, to do research to ultimately eradicate cancer, right? This is what the end goal here is. So there is a problem. There's a disconnect here because the investors are now realizing the money that they're putting into the organization is not getting used to what they thought it was. And that gets back to that perception thing, um, which I think is a fundamental issue with the organization. And that's unfortunate because I think as we talk about so frequently on our podcast, a lot of these wounds are self-inflicted, but unnecessarily self-inflicted yeah. in the sense that in the clips that you just played, 55% of those funds going towards public health education related to breast cancer. Awareness, yeah. That actually is a very important need. Right. So when we think about things like the importance of genetic testing and diagnostics and the impact that that can create on your ability to control treatment options, to select better treatment options with fewer side effects, to potentially avoid chemo and radiation with precision medicines. Right. There's a lot of education that needs to happen that people may be aware, of course, that breast cancer is a problem. I think we're all aware. We've all been touched by it with a friend or a relative or somebody that we know. But what to do when it touches your life there is a lot of education that needs to happen there in terms of what the right resources are and clinical trials that are available and the different types of diagnostic tools that are available and the impact that that can have on the reality of how you live your life as a patient and how you can determine what the best future is for yourself. What you just said, I totally agree with, but it starts separating a little bit when we look at the outward-facing marketing. Talk a little bit about that. Well, so... There's a lot of, again, kind of self-inflicted wounds as it relates to the marketing, not only being disconnected in not effectively communicating the value and the purpose of how their money is spent and the transparency around that, yep. but also some of the ways that they've gone about it. So for example... Komen Foundation has teamed up with multiple water bottle retailers for marketing campaigns for the cure. And the problem is, is that some of these water bottle companies make these bottles out of polycarbonate, which may contain BPA, which according to a 2014 study from the University of Texas at Arlington, has been linked to not only cancer tumor growth, but specifically breast cancer tumor growth. Oh, man. Yeah, in 2010, Komen partnered with KFC, and KFC contributed $4.2 million to them, which is the largest single contribution organization's history, and they called it Buckets for Cure. And it was a promotion in which fried and grilled chicken was solids in pink branded buckets, right? And it's cute, but according to numerous sources, like the Daily News and the Kobe Report and NBC, 
The KFC chicken is known to contain carcinogenic chemicals. So that partnership ended since then, but the fact that that actually happened doesn't help their perception, right? And here's another example. In 2011, they introduced a perfume brand called Promise Me, which was promoted by Brinker on the home shopping network. So this is a really big campaign that they launched. And not long after they launched it, they encountered a serious problem. So as it turns out, the Promise Me perfume contained ingredients that have been suggested to be carcinogenic. And Komen had said that it intended to reformulate the perfume, but did not want to withdraw existing stocks of the Promise Me perfume from distribution. Hmm. So you've kind of got this situation where it's like you want to be as far away from the line as possible in terms of any type of negative perception as it relates to actually putting the health and safety of your patients first and foremost. So again, that just didn't help. Yeah, I mean, I think this has been hard not to have a strong opinion on this because I think they're trying to do this for a good cause, right? I think the listener can form an opinion on them specifically, but as it relates to marketing within this space, I think transparency is so important here because if we think of donors as investors, investors want to know where the executive team is going to be spending their money in the company, right? Right. And that's even more so important because a lot of these donations are emotionally charged because they come from a specific point of somebody being affected by the disease state. So I think to make sure how the public perceives you and how you're advertising yourself matches your actions is so important here. If they don't match, consider what you need to do to fix it. I sound like a broken record, but honesty is the best policy here, which just comes back to the same thing, authenticity. I think the authenticity of the foundation is super important. Komen was acquiring trademarks, filing lawsuits, taking other charities to court, running marketing campaigns, raising money, all this compact into their daily operation. And there are a few ways the problem with this can be phrased. You can say that it's quality over quantity, right? If you want to think of it that way. Or you can say, don't bite off more than you can chew. Or another analogy could be, the more objects you throw in the air, you need to juggle. And I just don't know if that's really necessary in their circumstance. And from a donor's perspective, listening to all those clips, I think there was a huge disconnect from a transparency perspective, which is, seems that it's actually caught up with them. Yeah. We've talked a lot about adjacencies. When you try to have too many different things that you're trying to accomplish, usually that ends up meaning that you kind of become this jack of all trades and master of none. And you just lose your ability to focus on what is really going to move the needle and what's most important in the core of your mission. And to be clear, like from an advertising perspective, it's, I think, a good thing that they're utilizing their funds to create more funds, that they're really very, very good at promoting themselves. I think that's something that you want for a charity. You want them to be well-known. Yeah. You want them to be highly visible so that they can raise a significant amount of funds. Exactly. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's their core business because they need investors. They need 
donors. Right. But it's what they do with those funds that's becoming the sticky point for people. And not only what they do, but also the communication of it. Because if they truly want to say that 55% is driven towards educational purposes, be an educational charity. Yeah. And that's totally okay. That's fantastic. It's no different than any company. Yeah. Exactly. So marketing isn't just a selfie. You can't just like put the makeup on and craft the scene and take the photo from that right angle that shows you in just the best light. That's not marketing, right? So all of this stuff may sound good on paper. Let's go after the trademarks. Let's do these things that are kind of these really aggressive strategies. Let's not lead with how we spend our money. Let's lead with other things. Well, Chad, I think we got through this without having too much of an opinion, which is good. I don't want to influence our listeners. I just want to give them the facts. So yeah, I think that's a fantastic spot for us to wrap up. And thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you guys in next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.